Children's Church. I'm going to ask Wally to come at this time. Thank you, Wally, for being here. Thank you, Jeremy. Do you not, uh, guys know how blessed you are with your pastor? I hope you do. He is such a gentle man. Not just a gentleman, but he's a gentle guy. And um, I'm not used to that. I come from hard stock. You know, people, people say to me, how are you? How would you respond to that question? How are you? A lot of people say, I'm good. I'm good. I said, no, you're not good. I can show you scripture that proves that to be a fact. <laughs> you should be responding, I'm either well or I'm not well. Okay? So how are you? Oh, oh you're all well. That's great, great. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> How's your faith? That's a good question, isn't it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The assurance of faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But then comes along James, who says to us, you show me your faith through the things you say, and I'll show you my faith through how I live it, what I do. See, faith is about living it's not just about believing. It does come into the mind, but it slips eight inches into the heart. And when it's in the heart, if it's really there, it becomes the most incredible adventure you have ever been on. I've been a follower of Christ for almost 48 years. And he has been there for me, for us in every situation. He has never failed me. I love that last, last song we just sang. He has held us fast to him throughout all of these years. So I want to honor him today by challenging you when you're asked that question or when you even ask yourself the question, how's my faith? I want you to be able to say, it is well with my soul. So it may push you a little bit as you hear personal testimonies from me and from my beautiful bride that's with me, 47 years, 8 months, 4 days. I keep track. I'm a good man. I have to do that. It's dangerous not to, okay? So the first thing I want to say is this, that faith comes from God. You know the passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not of yourselves, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. So God is the one who gives the faith. I was a 28-year-old. I was an undercover investigator. I was living in Miami, Florida. It was a dangerous time in the early 70s to be living in that city. And I knew that I was on the wrong track, a college grad with a degree in criminology, but I really wanted this police stuff. I loved it. Until I met somebody and they said, you know, you need to find out about Jesus. And I'm thinking, I don't have time for that. But I really liked her. And you know, that kind of changes the way you think. And 
So back then, for you younger ones, there was actually a book called The Yellow Pages. All right, it wasn't Yelp, it was The Yellow Pages. And I went through it, and I found the most exciting named church I could find, Old Cutler. I thought, that's cool. I liked it. I'm going to go there. So I called up, got an appointment with the pastor. Now, I grew up without a dad, matriarchal home. I became an athlete to escape that. And that's all I had done in all my life, and nobody really cared for me. I was a loner. I go down to this church to see this pastor, and pastors, as far as I was concerned, were wimps. You know, they only work one day a week. (laughs) And then they found something somewhere to tell you, and it's meaningless. So I never understood that. But I knocked on his door, and he opened the door. I couldn't see him because he was 6'8", almost 300 pounds. And he reached out with his hand, and he grabbed my hand, and I said, this is it, I'm done, you know. I'm going to die right here. And he pulled me in, sat me down. He said, do you know Jesus? And I looked at him and I said, of course I do. I'm a college graduate. <laughs> that's, what, that's the only thing I could think of to say. He said, why don't you come back to church for a few weeks and we'll talk again. I was so glad to get out of there. I, yes, sir. I'll be back. So I came on Sunday And all the guy did was preach about Jesus. I thought, how sad. You see, he had been drafted by the Chicago Bears in 1956. His name was Bob Davis. They called him Tiny Davis. But he wanted to preach, so he didn't play pro football. He's an all-American college player. So I was really impressed with who he was. So I went back that Sunday, heard it. Second Sunday went back. I promise you, it's the same sermon. All he did was talk about Jesus. I'm thinking, I don't need this. So the third Sunday, I didn't go. About 12, 15, phone rang in my apartment. I answered it. He said, I missed you. I'm thinking, oh, it's God. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do? I said, nobody's ever missed me in church. Nobody ever cared who I was. He said, you should come back tonight. Yes, sir, I'll be there early. I hung up. I went that night, and that night he preached the same message. But you know what? God opened my heart and my ears, and he poured faith into me. And I went home that night, and I got on my knees, and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. But Jesus, you're supposed to come take over my life, whatever that means. And so I'm going to say, yeah, come on and do it, whatever that means. That's about as as weak a testimony as you can get. You know, I just, I knew I'm either going to die or go to prison eventually because of who I was. But God had a different plan. So I called the pastor. I said, Pastor, uh, I accepted Christ tonight. He said, great, come on in in the morning. And I said, yes, sir. And I called somebody else. I told her, I said, I'm now a follower of Christ. And she was Excited about that, but that was about it. I thought, well, a lot of good that did, but we'll see what this means. A year and a half after becoming a Christian, just a year and a half, the elders of the church came and said, we want you to go to seminary. I said, that's great, great. What seminary? I mean, I hadn't even read the Bible yet. I'm just taking a course in Old Testament 
and trying to figure out what all these words mean. And they said, no, God's got a call on you. I said, okay. I had no idea what I was doing. But my wife, who had been that woman on the other end of the phone, said, uh, this is probably something we should do. And so we prayed, and God said, I want to send you to seminary. The church said, we'll pay for it. We'll, give you, we'll pay all your tuition, and we'll give you a little extra to help you out. One elder came to us, and he said, I have some money I've been saving for a day like this. I'd like to give it to you and Linda, and I'd like for you to be able to go to seminary. You won't have to work. You can buy a home. It was $50,000. Now, I looked up this week the value of $50,000 in 1976. It's $256,000 today. So that's the equivalent of what he offered. We went back and prayed, and God said to both of us, no, don't take it. I want you to learn what it means to live by faith. And I'm going, no, <laughs> you've got to be kidding. Said, All right, we'll do it, God. We'll go by faith. By that time, I was a private eye with a law firm. And the head of the law firm was a Jewish attorney, Michael Broomer. And he called me into his office one day, and he said, I am so proud of you that you're going to go to seminary. I always wanted to go to seminary. He said, but I was never able to do it, so I want to bless God somehow, so I'm going to give you some extra money to go to seminary with. A check for $2,700. I went back up to my office where there were two other investigators, and one of them had been in a motorcycle accident years before, burned over 90% of his body, third degree, been in the hospital over a year, and he had a hatred for God. He grew up knowing God, but he hated God. He walks in the office one day, and I'm writing a check, my tithe check, $15. That was my tithe for the week. And he said, what do you get for that? I said, well, I don't think I get anything. He said, well, that's a stupid investment. I'll tell you the conclusion of that at the end of the message. Now, God tests us. He gives us the faith that he wants us to have. But he's not just going to give you faith and let you run with it. He's going to test you. Genesis chapter 22. Starting in the first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's an incredible test, isn't it? Abraham is probably about 118 years old here. He's walked with God for decades, decades. One of the virgins of the Bible says, after all these things... God tested Abraham. You're not too old to be tested. No matter where you are in your faith, God can test that faith whenever he wants to. And so he says to Abraham, the unthinkable, I want you to sacrifice your child to me. I don't hear Abraham saying, no way. You've gone too far now, God. This is not something I want to have to deal with. No, the Bible says early the next morning, Abraham rose. What? 
And he said to his son Isaac, Isaac, come with me. We're going to go make a sacrifice for God. About a three-day walk to the mountain he'll show us. Now here's the most interesting thing. You hear nothing from Isaac. No complaint. Why'd you wake me up so early? I'm a teenager. I'm 18. I get to sleep in. No, what you had was perfect obedience, a a passive obedience. He simply obeyed, while Abraham had an active obedience. He had to actually make this happen, because when, when God calls you, he requires something of you. The faith he put in you, he wants to fashion. He wants to shape that faith to meet the character he gave you. Every one of us in this room are different from one another, and God made us that way. But he did it for his own glory, for his own purpose, wanting us to recognize who we are in him. And once we recognize that, then we can understand what it is he is calling us to do. What has he called you to do? How's your faith? Search in your heart to try to understand God's purpose in you. Let me keep reading verses 6, 7, and 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. But before that, before that event happened, what is it that Abram said to the servants that had gone with him? He said to his servants in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and listen to this, and then we will come back to you. Wait a minute. What do you mean we will come back? You've got to sacrifice your son. This is what God said. No, he was believing God. This is what he knew about God. God had promised that someday he would send Messiah. He would send the Savior. So either Isaac is the Savior and therefore deserves to be sacrificed because it's a blood covenant that Abraham made all the way back in Genesis 15 that God is holding accountable to. Or Isaac is not the Messiah and therefore he won't die because it's not time yet because the Messiah has to come through, as the Bible says, the loins of Abraham, which would be through the generations of Isaac. He was speaking to that which was not as though it were. He knew God's promise. And when you know what God has promised you in the Scripture, not what man promises, not what concepts, programs, but what God says to you as you open His Word, when you know that, then your faith builds and you can make statements like that. But no, Abraham said, I'm going back. We'll be back. We're going to go up there. We're going to do whatever it is God has planned. I don't know what it is yet because he hasn't told me. And then we're going to come back. Now, get ready for this because my wife's going to come and tell you a story about coming back. And the only risk I... Could she use that handheld? The only risk that I take here is whether or not I'll get the pulpit back. Okay? Good morning, everyone. My name is Linda. I'm known as Mama Linda. 
I'm a missionary. I have the privilege of working with uh, widows um, internationally. And uh, I want you to know that this week is a birthday week for me. And I'm praising the Lord because seven years ago I was diagnosed with two types of cancer. I was told that I wouldn't live through probably my first treatment. But my God, my God, my God is faithful. So this week I will celebrate my 76th birthday. And I'm praising the Lord that I have the opportunity to do it and to be here to celebrate with all of you. You see, the sanctuary is where we can run in and we can celebrate our God because he is faithful. Now, my husband would like me to tell you a story. I was on my way to Belarus. Anybody know where Belarus is? Yes, you're shaking your heads, yes. And I had a friend who was a missionary there, and she had worked with the youth. Um, And she had asked me several times, please come, please come, please come. So I went. He had to go to Siberia. He had to go there to be able to teach um, uh, men and women who wanted the word desperately to be able to give away freely. And so um, I was by myself. I had to fly in New York, and everything was going just fine. Uh, but then when I got to Moscow, they told my, me my papers were not in order. What do you think they did with me? They put me on the next plane back. And I was just crying because I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, Joyce, the missionary, is supposed to meet me in Belarus, in Minsk. And I thought, I can't call her. But when I was standing with my, um, the guards, I said, I need to see a Delta agent right now. They sent for one. He came. I gave him my husband's telephone number in Siberia. He was able to call him, which was a real big praise. That was praise number one. And that gentleman told my husband what had happened. My husband had the the desire for me to be able to really go back to Belarus, so he called a daughter of ours. Our daughter taught at a Christian school um, outside of D.C. She happened to have um, the experience background in hospitality to be able to um, call Delta and to be able to have someone be able to give me what I needed to be able to get back. But when I was on that plane coming back across to Um, New York, I found myself just, I had to pray. So I prayed and prayed and prayed. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said, you are going back. I was so excited. I was thrilled. I wanted to jump out of that seat. But instead, I told strangers, I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back. And I was so relieved when I got off the plane. Now, remember, I didn't know anybody on that plane. I didn't know anybody at that airport. But when I landed in New York, 
and I went down that um, uh, gangplank or whatever you want to call it, I was just like doing a jig. I was, I was dancing down. I said, I don't know how I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, I heard my name called. Linda Hostetter, will you please come to information? So I went to information. And guess what? They didn't know a thing. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't call you. Really? So I turned away, and I didn't know what to do. Lo and behold, a woman from Delta came up to me. Now, there's hundreds of people there. And that person came up to me, and she had a little slip of paper. And she said, are you Linda Hostetter? And I said, I am. She said, you're going back. I said, really? How are we doing this? She said, well, we've got to get you through customs. And then there's a woman who takes care of international problems on the other side of customs. And this woman is going to help you get another flight. Her name was Julie. Julie was a Christian. Julie and I prayed together. Julie was able to get me a flight through Frankfurt rather than Moscow. She put me on the plane, but it wasn't, I always fly tourist. She said, you know, this will be your third time across the Atlantic. And she said, I know you got to be tired because you're going to be speaking not only to widows, but you're also going to be speaking to uh, teachers of special education. And I said, yes, you're correct. She said, we are going to need to rest. We're going to put you in first class. I said, oh, what a shame. <laughs> so she ushered me on board. I sat down, and the gentleman next to me was Muslim. He was a young man who had come to New York City to be able to um, find a job with a Procter & Gamble. He didn't take it. But do you know what happened all night long with this gentleman and myself? I told him about my Jesus. I wonder why God didn't let me get into Belarus. I still was going, but he wanted this man to hear the good news. And so I told him, and then I didn't, I call myself Loud Linda, because I really don't need this mic. <laughs> My mother was deaf when I was growing up, so we always spoke very loudly at home. And it turned out that after I had spoken to him, we went to sleep, he went to sleep for a little while, and then guess what happened? The stewardess, we were going down in Frankfurt. She's all buckled in, and she gets her seat buckle, and she takes it off, and she comes and kneels down from next to me, and she says, I want you to pray for me because I want to do what you do. I had a twofer. <laughs> I had a twofer going. Well, I landed in Belarus in Minsk. And when I got off the flight, I said, this is a dark place spiritually. I could feel it in my spirit. And I was thinking, they need prayer desperately. They need Jesus desperately. And so I went in to uh, get my luggage and retrieve it. And guess what? None of my luggage was there. 
And I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. And I ended up going over and standing in line with my little slip of paper to be able to have my luggage found. And all of a sudden, I feel a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and here's a man in black slacks, white shirt, very, very, very young. And he says, wait till you hear this. He says, follow me. That's all he says to me. Who else said that? Hello, friends. Hello, friends. I'm thinking, whoa, this is really some trip. I turn around. I follow him. He doesn't ask any questions, doesn't say anything else, goes behind some black curtains, comes out with my two suitcases. He hasn't even asked me my name, ladies and gentlemen. Do you get what I'm saying to you? He's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We are blessed if we are walking in the Lord, if we are serving the Lord, if we are friends of the Lord. But it takes work, and it takes faith, and it's a big gift of faith he's given me. He hands me my suitcases. Now, me of little faith, I say to myself, gee, I'm, I'm really late. I wonder if the conference is still going on. I wonder if there's anyone here to pick me up. Have you ever talked to yourself that way? Well, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. You better start saying, praise God, praise God, praise God. He's going to do it. I walked into the area where they pick up the passengers, and there's a man, big placard, big placard. It says, Linda Hostetter. I ran up to him. He was a tall drink of water. I ran up to him. I threw my arms around him. I said, thank God you're here. And he looked down at me, and he said, I have been here three days. I'm on my honeymoon. So we got in the car, and we drove fast, kind of like Mario Andretti. And I'm sitting there holding on, you know. Get to the um, hotel. It wasn't a hotel. It was actually a hostel. Got to the hostel. They said, we have very limited time. The conference starts in 40 minutes. What God begins, he will finish. But you have to walk by faith. I've always wanted to write a book. I'm going to entitle it Life with Linda. <laughs> you have no idea of the stories that God has brought into our lives, but Faith is blessed because God wants to bless. You don't earn blessings from God. You don't make deals with God. God just blesses as he wishes. And so here's Abraham and Isaac. They start up the mountain, and Isaac notices that the elements that are normally present for making an offering are there minus the meat. 
And so he questions his father. It's not an insubordinate statement. He's just saying to him, Dad, you know, you're 118. You forgot the meat. <laughs> you know, you're slipping a little here. But look at the answer that Abraham brings to pass. Verse 14. No, verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. That's the way the English translates it. The Hebrew says, God will provide himself. That makes the difference, doesn't it? But wasn't that the promise he made in Genesis 15 when he cut a covenant with Abraham in the old-fashioned style where he put animals on either side that had been slain and there was a blood walk between and the two parties making contract are supposed to walk through it, indicating their guilt if they fail the contract. But God causes a deep sleep to fall on Abram. And God walks between the pieces because what he is saying is this. When you fail, when I fail, when we all fail, the blood is on God. Because it is only his blood that satisfies his own wrath. He has to remind us of that, doesn't he? There's so many times that I will question my own faith. How is my faith? Why am I questioning? Because I probably did something or thought something or saw something that I should not have because I have within me a sinful nature that has been cleansed and forgiven, but I live in a fallen world. So it's not easy for any of us. We all fall into the times where we make choices. Now, you don't fall in sin. You fall in ditches. Okay, sin is a choice. But sometimes God has to remind you of his love, and he'll do it any way he chooses to draw you closer to himself. He had a purpose for Linda's trip. It was no surprise to him every step of the way. One night years ago, in our home in Lake Orion, I was awakened by our Lhasa Apso, small little dog, cute little thing. We had gotten him from rescue. He loved women. He hated men. <laughs> I had to earn his trust over time, and I did, but our daughters had trained him to come to me if he needed to go out at night. <laughs> so, and no, that's not God's plan. <laughs> So one night he came, and I got up, and I went to the door, and I put the leash on him, and we walked out the door, and he was gone, leash and all. And I'm thinking, I can't find a dark-skin-colored dog in the middle of the midnight running out from the house. What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, he comes running back in all by himself. I thought, cool. Thank you, Lord, for answering the prayer. And I locked the front door, and I go, what is that smell? Oh, he was skunked. And now he's going through the whole house. Yeah, you can hear it, can't you? What is that smell? Yeah, <laughs> the daughters are awakening. And I know this. I know if you get tomato juice and pour it on that smell, it'll help. So I said, do we have any tomato juice? Linda said, no. So 3 o'clock in the morning, I go to an all-night grocery store. I'm still trying to remember what I was wearing. 
<laughs> I don't know. But I went in and I bought three of these large cans of V8 juice. And the girl said, oh, we're having a party, are we? <laughs> I brought those home. I got in the shower with that dog. And I let that shower run. And, I mean, don't do that, okay? That's not a good idea. And I poured that stuff all over him, you know, and rubbed it in. And then I stood up and I looked down. And I began to weep. Because I smell in the presence of God. And it's only through his shed blood that I'm cleansed. What a statement he made to me that night. Don't forget your faith. Everything that I'm told in here is true. Everything. Read it. Learn it. Live it. Now you remember... The man I worked with who hated God, who asked me what I was doing with the $15. In the second year of my seminary, my pastor called. He said, I'd like for you to come and work for us this summer. And he said, I don't know if we'll be able to pay you. I'm not sure where you'll live or what kind of transportation you'll have, but I really need you. You know, there we go. After all these things, God tested Wally. So I turned to Linda, who was seven months pregnant. What do you think we should do? We have to go. I said, all right. Well, she was going to be about two weeks behind me, maybe a little more than that. So I flew down to Miami and went to the church. And he said, for the first two weeks, you're going to live with a widow. And he said, I have a moped for you to ride. I mean, I look like a JW on wheels. You should have seen me with a suit and, you know, a briefcase riding 30 miles an hour on this little bitty thing. It was terrible. After two weeks, he came to me and he said, there is a man who says he knows you. He's a judge, and he is the one who founded the law firm that you used to work for. And five months ago, he became a follower of Christ. And he heard that you were coming to town. And he wants you to stay at his home for the next six weeks. So he handed me the, the keys to the house, the keys to the Lincoln, the keys to the boat, and the keys to the tennis court. Now we're talking God, you know. <laughs> this home was amazing. And I remembered that Danny had told me his dream in life, his purpose, was to live near Judge Fuller. So my pastor said, now Wally... He said, there will be people who want to play tennis at night, and they have to ask you permission to turn the lights on. And I said, well, that'll be fine. So I'm there. been there a couple of days. There's a knock on the front door. I open the door, and there's Danny. And with several chosen words from his vocabulary, he asked me what I'm doing there. And the first thing that came to my mind was, Danny, this is what $15 will get you. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't part of God's plan, <laughs> but we learned later that his wife and two kids had begun attending Old Cutler. I've never seen him since nor heard from him, but my prayer is that God was gracious and brought him into a relationship with himself, and that someday he and I 
will sit down together. I just hope that's true. So how's your faith? Is it well? Well, mine's well, but it's still growing because I'm not done yet. Someone asked me at my present ministry, I've been there eight and a half years, they said, so when are you going to retire? I said, I'm going to make it really easy on you. So why don't you park the hearse out back? Because <laughs> when I'm done, it'll be from here. Because there is no time frame on God's call in our life. It's until he calls us home. I want to pray for you, and I pray that everyone in here has applied that blood of Jesus to your lives, that you really know who he is as Lord and Savior. So let me pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful gathering of your children, Lord. We are here today to worship you. It's all about you, and if it's not, it ought to be, Lord, because you have done gracious things in our lives. You have given us salvation through Christ Jesus. So I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never received you as Lord and Savior, that this will be their day. They will just raise their hearts to you and say, Jesus, come into my life. I repent of my sins. Help me, Jesus. Lord, we know that you're working your way in our lives. Strengthen our faith and help us in our time of need. We call upon you today in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask you to bow your head?